This is our ninth week of home worship. And during this time, we've missed 10 worship experiences together. Nine Sundays plus Good Friday. And of course, we've missed worshiping together on Easter, our biggest celebration of the year. Yet we've not stopped worshiping. The church building has mostly been closed, but the church continues to be the church. We are staying connected to God and to each other in various ways. And we're still reaching out and loving our neighbors. Let's remember this. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. If hell, the dominion of Satan, is helpless against the church of Jesus Christ, then COVID-19 and a quarantine don't stand a chance. Can I get an amen on that? And yet, the reality is, we all feel a lack. We feel a lack of face-to-face community. We feel a lack of the energy and the excitement and the enthusiasm and the joy that we can experience when we worship God together. Let's face it, singing around the kitchen table on Sunday just isn't the same thing as doing it with God's extended family in the church. Taking communion at home actually can be a very special moment, but it's just not the same as doing it with God's extended family at the church. So this time apart has reminded us of the importance of worshiping together. Before the quarantine, though, I think some of us had fallen into a rut. We were taking our worship for granted. We came to worship when it was convenient. We sometimes came to worship without a sense of expectation. And that is so very different than what we find in the Bible The worship experiences in Scripture always are full of incredible awe for God and great joy at the privilege of worshiping the Creator of heaven and earth because worship is an invitation to celebrate, to celebrate the goodness and the greatness of our God. And this attitude of celebration comes through so clearly in Psalm 96. I'd like you to close your eyes And listen to these words of worship written by our spiritual ancestor, King David. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord, the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. 
Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Music is a vital part of worship. So David begins this psalm of worship by urging God's people to sing. To sing not just old familiar songs, but also to sing new songs. And why is that? Because new songs remind us that God is the one who makes all things new. He makes you and me new through the gift of salvation. And through salvation, he offers us a fresh start in life. He makes us new. And every morning, he creates a new day for us to enjoy. And as we follow God, he continually recreates us as he molds us more and more into his image with each passing day. I am not the same person today as I was last month or last year, and neither are you. God makes us new. So let's sing to the Lord old songs and new songs. And there's another reason that music is so important to our worship, and that's because music does not speak to our intellect. It speaks to our hearts. Neurological research reveals that music stirs the part of our brain which controls our emotional responses. And that's why music touches you and me at such a deep level. And God wants us to sing and make music because he wants us to worship him with our whole being. And that's certainly how David expresses himself here in Psalm 96, as he worships our great and mighty God with his mind and with his feelings. And here's something really important. As I was reading, did you notice that David's entire focus is on God rather than himself? He sings to God, and he sings about God, and he declares God's glory, and extols God's name, and honors God's holiness. Worship is so vitally important for our well-being because worship gets us beyond our inherent self-centeredness. And we tend to get this backwards. We come to worship thinking about ourselves. But if we do, we're going to actually miss out on the best that God has for us. You and I only are enriched by worship when we take our eyes off ourselves and we make God the center of attention. And I hate to admit it, but sometimes I've left worship with this attitude. Well, I didn't get much out of the service today. That kind of attitude is 180 degrees in the wrong direction. David's words are a reminder that worship is not about me. Worship is not an entertainment event designed to please me. Worship is about God. And if I leave and I feel like I didn't get anything out of a service, perhaps it's because I didn't actually worship. I absolutely believe that our hearts and our minds and our souls will be refreshed if we pour ourselves into the wholehearted worship of God. And yet it's not always easy to do because the very act of worship is profoundly countercultural. 
For example, there are many other large gatherings in our community, but where else besides the church is the gathering shaped so strongly around singing? We sing the national anthem at sporting events, and and we often sing a song during the seventh inning stretch at the ballpark, but we don't sing throughout the game. Even at many music concerts, what we mostly do is listen. When we gather as the church, though, we Sing. It is something distinctly different about our community when we gather. And in our very individualistic and self-centered and and sometimes narcissistic culture, focusing on God when we come together, rather than on ourselves, it seems profoundly strange. We're not used to it. And David's description here in Psalm 96 of his incredible delight in God, well, it it sounds odd to modern ears. So let's acknowledge that worship does not come naturally, which means that we must be intentional about entering into the experience. But just because it's awkward or difficult, we can't ever stop doing this. Because our worship of God keeps the rest of life in perspective. And one area of life where we desperately need perspective is with who or what we worship. And that's why David highlights the allure of false gods. By noting in verse 5 that every nation has its idols. And for some nations, it's the worship of a god other than the god of the Bible. For some nations, their idol is the government or or perhaps a particular national leader. America is a nation of many potential idols. Recreation, sports, shopping, digital technology, politics, materialism. All of these things and more, and even the time we spend doing them, can become idols. Idols that distract us from God. Idols that dilute our attention to God. Idols that can capture our hearts and our minds in the place of God. And their allure fades, though, the more we worship God. And one way to defeat potential idols is to follow David's advice in verse 8. We bring an offering as we come into the house of God to worship. And an offering, by definition, costs us something. We take something of value and we give it to God. And our offerings grow in value when the things that we offer are potential items, idols. Potential idols. We take those things that maybe put our devotion to God at risk. And we take some of those things and we give them to God. So how about if we give God our time on Sunday as an offering? Time, there's there's a precious and costly commodity. Rather than worship intermittently or every few weeks or when it's convenient or when the kids don't have a sporting event or when the ducks aren't playing, why not make it a priority to offer our time to God on Sunday so we can consistently worship Make him a greater priority in our lives. How about if we give God our wholehearted attention as an offering? 
rather than sit in church and surf the net or text on our smartphones or allow ourselves to be consumed by the thoughts of the to-do list waiting at work or at home. Let's make it a priority to put our attention on him, not on ourselves and our own agendas. And how about if we give to God financially as an offering? seems to me that even if we're not a materialistic person, that giving financially makes a huge statement in our money-driven culture. And the fact is, in our modern world, it takes money to survive. So when we willingly give away money to the Lord, we're demonstrating some humility. We're demonstrating some trust in Him. Giving our financial offerings is a way to prevent money from becoming one of our idols. So let's be sure to open up our hands and graciously give part of our hard-earned money to God as a humble act of worship. Idols are risk. They can distract us from God. They can worm their way into our hearts and erode our devotion to God. And there's another potential idol in our world and it's the world itself. For some nations and for some people, the elements of nature become objects of worship. So here in verses 11 and 12, David points us in the right direction. He highlights nature, but oh, this is so important, not as an object of worship. He highlights nature as participating in the worship of God. Listen again to these words from verses 11 and And 12, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them, let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. David is using rich, vivid, poetic language to issue a call to worship for all of creation. Now he's not speaking literally, of course. And yet, and yet there is a sense in which nature does worship God because as waves crash on the shore, as wind whistles through the branches of trees, as wildflowers grow in the fields, as light travels at its speed assigned by God, as day turns to night and back again, when the world works as God designed it, then the elements of nature are in fact worshiping their creator. They are giving glory to the God who set them in motion. You and I need to appreciate nature. Be good stewards of nature. But we don't worship nature. We, along with nature, we worship the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. And yet we need to recognize that God is more than our creator. He also is our Lord, as David notes in verse 13. And because God is our Lord, then it means that he rules and we are accountable to him for our behavior. Because God is our Lord, then he comes to judge the world. Yet this is not something to fear since David says that God's justice is carried out in an impartial manner. And I love hearing that because we live in a world where life is not always fair. Knowing that God judges rightly is incredibly appealing. Our God, our Lord will provide equitable 
righteous justice for everyone. And now depending on your Bible translation, the last words of this psalm will be different. My translation says that the Lord will judge the peoples in his faithfulness. And some translations say that the Lord will judge the peoples in his truth. Both translations are right because they both capture ideas that are inherent in the Hebrew word they're trying to translate. And it's true that God is faithful and God is truth. Furthermore, God's faithfulness faithfulness and God's truth are two sides of the same coin. God's truth is what shapes his faithfulness. And he's faithful because he's true. And he will bring these two rich, wonderful qualities to bear on all of his judgments of humanity. And this means he will not be capricious or arbitrary like we can be. He will not play favorites as we sometimes do. We sometimes give preference to people because they're rich or powerful. But God won't do that. When God judges, there will be no partiality or unfairness or injustice. And that is a powerful reason for you and I to listen to him and follow him and honor him and humbly worship him. God's justice exercised with faithfulness and truth. Oh, that is a great reason to sing a new song to our great God who makes all things new. Worship is an invitation to celebrate. I want to briefly summarize some of these key ideas about worship that we glean from from Psalm 96. Because worship is an invitation to celebrate, then we come to worship to celebrate the goodness and the greatness of God. And we celebrate the God who continually makes us new. And we express that newness by singing new songs of joy. And as we come to worship, we lay aside our self-centeredness. Instead, we focus on God, offering Him our time and our attention and even our finances. Because these things refresh our souls and they help us defeat the idols of our culture. And we worship God because he is our Lord and we owe him our allegiance. He is coming to judge us, but he will judge us with fairness and equity. If we align ourselves with God and with his truth, we do not need to fear his judgments. And instead, we actually can look forward to them as David obviously does. And worshiping God together within the encouraging embrace of our community of faith, that helps each of us stay better aligned with God and his truth. Right now, we're obviously still worshiping apart. But in the weeks ahead, we're going to be easing our way back into a full Sunday morning experience. As we head in that direction, I believe that now is a great time to make a commitment to establish a new normal for our worship. Let's commit to make our Sunday mornings together a priority. Our top priority. Not something we do just when the schedule allows it. 
something we do as our top priority because more than anything, we want to worship with the family of God in community on Sunday morning. And let's come to worship not out of a sense of duty, but with a sense of expectation. Let's come expecting to meet God because of the unique experience of worshiping in community. And let's come ready to enter in and embrace the experience of worshiping God through music, through communion, through prayer, through the scriptures, in the company of other believers. What a rich experience. Worship is an invitation to celebrate together, to celebrate the God who offers us salvation and who makes all things new. Why would we ever want to miss out on experiencing that consistently together? I don't know about you, but as for me, I can't wait to do that with you again.